This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us be glad and rejoice in it. Friends, I would invite you to stand as you are able for the call to worship. The God of creation makes us one in body. The God of Christ makes us one in the spirit. In praise of the Lord. Almighty God, we praise you for creating this world in all its beauty, for redeeming it through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, Jesus, and for sustaining it by the power of the Holy Spirit. We worship you, we adore you, and we bow before your glory. You alone are holy, and we marvel at your grace. We pray that your Spirit will work among us now to inspire our praise, to challenge us with your truth, and to equip us to love and to serve the world you love. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, we are broken people living in a broken world. Every day we act in ways that are destructive and we fail to do what we know is right. Confident of God's love and mercy toward us, let us go to God to ask forgiveness first silently and then together using the prayer printed in your bulletin. Let us pray. 
And now together. Awesome and compassionate God, you have loved us with unfailing, self-giving mercy, but we have not loved you. You constantly call us, but we do not listen. You ask us to love, but we walk away from neighbors in need, wrapped in our own concerns. We condone evil, prejudice, warfare, and greed. God of grace, as you come to us in mercy, we repent in spirit and in truth, admit our sin, and gratefully receive your forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Redeemer. Amen. true that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, it is a greater truth that we are forgiven through God's love in Jesus Christ. He himself bore our sins on the cross that we might be dead to sin and alive to all that is good. Friends, believe this good news. In Jesus Christ we are forgiven. Let us stand and sing. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. As God has given us peace through Christ, let us pass the peace of Christ to one another. May the peace of Christ be with you. We are on a 16-week journey through the book of Romans, and today we find ourselves in the 12th chapter. 
Early on in our journey through Romans, Thomas shared a story about his two daughters, Miriam and Hannah, packing their own carry-on luggage for the first time as a way of inviting us to explore what are essential things for a journey. What do you really need to take? When I served as a director of youth and family ministries in Alabama, my dear friend and pastor Hal, he would talk about how parents typically have 18 years to pack their children's bag. 18 years to put what is necessary and helpful in their kids' symbolic suitcase, things like skill, knowledge, information, lessons, experiences, emergency medicine, directions, and guidelines. Everything they will need for that eventual day when they will leave home. After the first 11 chapters of Paul's letter to the Romans, Christ followers in Rome now have a jam-packed suitcase ready to explode. Needful things have been placed in their suitcase for the journey of faith. Packed are the core beliefs that define Christian identity. Jesus alone is Lord and Savior, and grace alone is the foundation for life with God. Explanations that both Jew and Gentile are equally welcome are placed in the bag with the reminder of a disciple's core identity as a servant tucked in. Ways to become less self-righteous people are added. Folded in is the role of scripture for the life of faith. A Christ follower's identity as God's beloved apostles who are sent out, who share good news with words and actions, and so much more is packed. At the end of chapter 11, Paul celebrates the faithfulness of God. He is deeply amazed as he thinks about the mercies of God, mercies that are extended to us. Paul considers the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, and he breaks into a doxology, which brings us to chapter 12. Chapter 12 marks a turning point. Now it is time to unpack all of the building blocks of faith and to live faith out. We are now making a turn to the really practical for all of you with a pragmatic bent. We are now coming to the part of Romans that you will especially appreciate. What Paul says from here on out is very practical. Paul says, if you understand and believe this gospel, then you will live like this. Tim Keller writes that verses 1 and 2 of Romans 12 are a summary of the whole Christian life. Listen now to the very beginning of chapter 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, may the words of 
my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts. May it all be <clears throat> pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If someone asked you, what is your motivation for Christian living? What is your motivation for Christian living? What would you say? For some of us, perhaps, when we were younger, maybe our motivation was fear-based. The fear of disappointing God or a Christian parent or a Christian leader or the fear of maybe being punished by God himself if we cross some sort of hard-to-determine line between what is pleasing to God and what is sinful. Maybe some of you are still motivated quite a bit by fear still now. In two short verses, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul explains the motivation for Christian living. It can be summed up in two words or phrases. First, therefore, and second, in view of God's mercy. What does he mean by therefore? Therefore is like the hinge on a door that acts as a link between the wall and the door that enables the one to relate to the other. And scripture therefore holds together doctrinal principles and practical application. Therefore indicates that we give ourselves to God because of all that Paul has been explaining in chapters 1 through 11, namely that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. We have done nothing to earn our salvation. We are justified once and for all because of faith. It is all about celebrating what Jesus has done. In view of God's mercy, essentially says the same thing. The true motivation for Christian living is how we respond to the good news of God's grace. As with all good news, all we can do is respond with celebration and thanksgiving. If we believe all that Paul has been explaining in chapters 1 through 11, then there is something for us to do. We are invited, urged to be a willing participant in something. Paul says, here is what you do. You offer yourself, your body, as a living sacrifice. Or as Eugene Peterson translates this verse in his contemporary translation of the Bible, the message Here's what I want you to do, God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. The metaphor Paul uses is that of a worshiper at the temple who comes in with an offering. First century people were very familiar with the offering of sacrifices much more than we are. Many of them had probably stood close to the altar when a sacrifice was made for them or for their family. They likely had watched as an animal was identified as their own as it was slain in a ritual manner and the victim on the altar to a deity was burned. 
The burnt offering was always totally burnt as it represented complete consecration and devotion to God. To suggest that they themselves should be sacrifices was a striking piece of imagery. The sacrifice Paul talks about is to be unique in that it will be living opposed to the normal dying experience of the victim. The old sacrifices were bloody. They were atoning for sin. They were atoning for guilt. The new sacrifices are not. Jesus' sacrifice ends all guilt offerings and sin offerings. The old sacrifice, once it was made, was over. The new sacrifice, the living sacrifice, it's never over. It's the everyday constant offering of ourselves to the Lord over and over and over again. Like a burnt offering given wholly to God, the Christian is to be a total sacrifice to God. <laughs> I'm sitting here thinking it's a sports score, that's what it is. <laughs> so much going on this morning. When Paul says body, he means everything, every part of you. The whole of life is to be in service to God. It is not about earning God's favor. So it's not, I'm going to go and to serve and to help somebody so that you will accept me, Lord, and have mercy and forgive me. No, this is different. This is an offering in response to God's action and mercy. A living sacrifice does not consist in the taking of lives of others like the ancient animal sacrifice but in the giving of one's own. To be a living sacrifice means to be fully at God's disposal. Theologian and author Frederick Beekner defines sacrifice this way. To sacrifice something is to make it holy by giving it away for love. To sacrifice something is to make it holy by giving it away for love. That is the way that we respond to the grace that now reorders our lives and affects our whole existence. We give the whole of our life as an offering. This is our worship. Worship literally meaning service. So this is how we serve. Paul then cautions us not to be conformed to this world but rather to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. He starts with the negative, do not be conformed, urging us to pay attention to the values of this age and not to become so well adjusted to our culture that we fit in without even thinking. Instead, we are to fix our attention on God, which will change us from the inside out. We talk a lot about the culture around here. It's really important that we do so because this is the air that we breathe and we are to engage the culture, to be in the world and not of it as we hear in the Gospels. I think the prevailing contemporary cultural value can be summed up by a popular bumper sticker. The one who dies with the most toys wins. 
We are prone to consumerism and materialism and frequently bow to the God of more community living and having an abiding concern for others, especially others outside of our immediate families. In an individualistic age is very hard and completely countercultural. Unless there is something for us in it, we are not usually drawn into friendship or partnership. We are fundamentally selfish. It is a miracle and the gift of the Spirit and a testimony to the power of God anytime we are able to sacrifice and to be generous. Instead of life centering all around us, we have been brought from death to life for so much more to live a life of mission and purpose. The idea of being transformed is connected to the renewal of the mind. How we use our minds is an essential component of how we live differently in view of God's mercy. God is renewing our minds, but we need to be an active participant. How do we renew our minds? It's not about having the strategy of thinking better thoughts or having an unbelievable willpower. It's about building better habits. We learn to say no to certain things in order to say yes to better things, better things such as the practice of solitude, where we learn to connect with the Lord and then all of life then flows naturally from our union with God. Better things like the practice of community where we learn to know others and to be known ourselves, where we pray for one another and help each other to grow. Better things like engaging scripture, the unique and authoritative word of God. We look at what scripture says in order to live, in order to serve. Our mind is renewed from the word of God and the spirit of God, which moves us then to offer ourselves as sacrifices. The whole of chapter 12 is so very rich. It is one of my most favorite chapters in all of scriptures. I, I urge you to read it later today or sometime this week and to sit with that chapter this week, the whole of Romans 12. It's sometimes chosen for weddings. Other times it is chosen for memorial services. For the remainder of Romans 12, we see what love looks like as Paul shares how Christ followers are to live and to treat one another within the body of Christ and others out in the wider society. Paul takes up gifts in how we are a body, like a body, every one of us wonderfully and uniquely made, equipped with gifts to be used in service to others. We will see in Romans 12, that while it is hard to define love, it is easy to recognize it by the way it acts because love sacrificially seeks the good of others and we demonstrate our love for one another in tangible ways. For love is action. Divine love changes us and transforms us as we give it away to others. We get to give to others what we have received. 
This week we witnessed an unprecedented and dramatic rescue operation that gripped the world of boys trapped in a flooded cave in northern Thailand for more than two weeks. I know I have been gripped myself. The wild boar soccer team who ranged in ages from 11 to 16 and their 25-year-old assistant coach had been trapped in a cave after soccer practice on June 23rd when rising floodwater cut them off deep within the cave. They had no food, but they did have drinkable water in the form of moisture dripping from the cave walls. Their assistant coach taught them to meditate, to keep calm, and to use less air, as little air as possible. The plight of the coach and the boys captivated the world from the heart-sinking news that they were missing to the first flickering video of the boys when they were found alive in pitch-black isolation by a pair of British divers 10 days later. The search turned into a rescue, a rescue involving hundreds of experts who flew in from around the world to help. A massive water pumping effort made the winding cave more maneuverable. Oxygen levels within the cave dropped to 15%. Forecasts of more rain threatened to raise water levels. Cave diving experts had warned it was potentially too risky to dive the students out. But they could leave no other way. The relentless, relentless rains were constantly threatening to swamp the boys' tiny refuge as a horrified world held their collective breath and looked on. The boys began to be rescued by a team of Thai and international divers this past Sunday and Monday, each boy guided out by a pair of experienced divers in a three-day high-stakes operation. On Tuesday, the final four boys were brought out along with their coach. Their rescue was followed a few hours later by the safe return of a medic and three SEAL divers who had stayed for days with the boys in their cramped refuge in that cave. Thailand Navy SEALs who were central to the rescue efforts celebrated the feat with a post that read, all the 13 wild boars are now out of the cave. We are not sure if this is a miracle or science or what. It was miraculous and quite moving to watch 12 boys and their coach be set free. Here is one excerpt from an article in the Washington Post. It had all come down to this last, best, terrible option that planners assumed would mean the death of at least some of the boys, none of whom could swim. It meant pulling a terrified child through the frigid waters of the cramped, flooded, 2.5-mile-long gauntlet that had already killed one expert diver. Heroes' welcome awaits them when they get to the top, not because they did anything markedly noble besides defy odds, but because they showed us there is hope even when the worst seems certain. A beautiful demonstration of hope in the darkness as people powerless to save themselves experienced a grand reversal. 
and a beautiful story of the lengths people will go to save someone else's child. Thirteen are now recovering side by side in a hospital. Videos are now emerging of the boys sitting up in their hospital beds wearing surgical masks, waiting to be reunited with their families, saying, thank you. I am in good health, remarks one of the 14-year-old boys. Thanks for saving me. Thanks for saving me. Friends, we who are powerless to save ourselves, we who have experienced such a grand reversal, we who have received so much mercy, the only appropriate response is gratitude expressed by the giving of our lives to God, which then motivates our living and our loving and our serving. It's not about coming to worship and getting your batteries recharged and then going out to live as you want to live. Make your life a living sacrifice. This is how we honor the one whose death brings life. This is how we honor Jesus. Look at God's mercies. If you see his mercies, then you will voluntarily offer your life, not as a way to earn God's favor, but as a way to say thank you. As an expression of gratitude for the mercies of God, how might you be love in action this week in your most intimate relationships and with the larger world? This is the work we will devote ourselves to as a community of faith as we encourage one another to follow Jesus by the concrete living of our lives as an offering to God. To the glory of God, amen. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for your faithfulness that you are the promise-making, promise-keeping God. Sovereign God, we pray to help one another to reflect through our actions the very love that you offer to us. God, give us grace to live your gospel. We pray this for one another in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.